Welcome to Season 10 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so glad that you joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the great pleasure of sharing a recent conversation that I had with the brilliant Dr. Adam Fraser. This is the second time that I've spoken with Adam for the podcast and it was a huge privilege to speak with him again. For those that are not aware, he's a peak performance researcher who helps people strive to achieve better performance in everything they do. He has worked with elite athletes and sporting teams, special forces soldiers and business leaders. In this episode, we took a deep dive into his work, The Third Space, and had an existential conversation about how to be a more present dad and how to show up and be present for those that matter most. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging discussion as I did. Please enjoy. Dr. Adam Fraser, thank you so much um, for joining me. Um, I really appreciate it. Where, where are you phoning in from? Uh, life is in Sydney. It's beautiful. It's sunny outside. Um, Sydney's putting it on right now. It's great. Yeah, it sure is. I can see a couple of sketches in the background, third space. That's some good product placement there. <laughs> well, um, as I said, I just did a, a virtual presentation for KPMG. So, um yeah, had a, a productive day. Amazing. And quite possibly the most important question for our conversation, uh, what is your, uh, what's your coffee order? My coffee order is I have a soy latte with one and a half sugars. Fantastic. And I get a lot of crap about it. Look, I, I'm, considering, uh, I'm considering switching to soy. Do you feel like it's been beneficial to you? Oh, well, I've, I haven't been able to have dairy since I was a kid, so I've never never really had it so i can't really tell whether it's different or not yeah um but yeah that's that's what i have and that's what i stick with fantastic um is there a book that you have recently read it could be within your sphere of expertise or more broadly uh that has uh, caused you to stop and reconsider a few things in your life oh my gosh yes can i tell you and it's um simon breaksby's fault he bought me a book called 4,000 Weeks and sent it to me. Oh. And I don't think I've, where I've thrown it across the room more times than this one. It just really pushes my buttons. Yeah. Um, oh, God, it aggravates me and upsets me because I'm a time optimist and I think I can just cram more and more things into my life. And the book's just about the absurdity of doing that. It, it, it's um, stunning. So, I, yeah, I've just... That, me yeah I, I sorry to interrupt I, I um I've just finished reading that book um and um my uh my wife recommended it to me and it, it is a I think that, that and it's I think it's so timely to our discussion today that the moment you forget to uh sorry the moment you stop running that race of trying to get everything in and cramming in everything and being more and more busy 
um, I, I think is a is a great day, but it is incredibly confronting. And when I read the title at first, I thought, wow, what a horrible title for a book. But in a strange way, it's quite liberating. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, oh, God. Yeah, ever, as I even talk about it, I get angry. <laughs> it's just that letting go of the delusion that we have around time and how... Yeah. You know, and, and I, his message is really interesting about how time management is really just trying to cram more and more things into shorter periods of time. And the fact that religion tells us that we live forever, we're infinite, and that um, the self-help world says you can achieve anything. So those three things have come together to really mess up our perception of time. Yeah. And is there anything... I, I'm, look, we could do a whole podcast episode in itself uh, on this book and... Uh, Oliver Berkman, if you're listening, you are more than welcome to come and have a conversation uh, with Adam and myself. But wouldn't it be a great guest? Um, Wouldn't he be a great guest? Is there anything, um, I mean, I'm sure there's so many things from that book that has impacted you, but is is there been anything that you have done as a result of reading that or more importantly, stopped doing? Yeah. Oh, so many things. Um... Do you know what? One is trying to be really, and I mean, this message has been around for years, but somehow this book kind of tweaked it. Just trying to be really present. So last week, my wife and I had our first holiday without our kids. And uh, we're on this beautiful island and everyone's on their phones and doing email. And we just put out all our technology away. Amazing. Even our watches away. And we're like, we're just going to really soak this up. But Oh, sounds a bit wanky, but even saying to each other, like, let's just really absorb this moment. Like, 100%. Through your senses around, like, what can we smell? What can we hear? And just really dropping into. Cause mm. My wife used to call me, she said, "You, when we go on holidays, you're like Chevy Chase. You're trying to, you have this obsession of we've got to enjoy ourselves and we've got to have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> and I end up driving everyone nuts. So, yeah, definitely changed the way our holiday. I also, um, you know, from that book started to think about when almost get rid of my to-do list. So rather than just write down a million things I've got to do, what I started to do was go, all right, where am I going to put this in my calendar? Absolutely. And when you do that, you start to go, oh, crap, this isn't important enough. So what I started to do with that book is rather than going, oh, yeah, I've got to get to that, in the moment going, when am I going to do that? So my calendar really runs my life and my calendar is a really clear reflection of where I spend my time. Yeah. And that step of going, all right, so if I say to someone, let's do coffee, yeah. Where am I putting that in? Or am I just saying that to be polite? Or when someone asks me for something or I offer to do something for someone, do I really want to do it? Yeah. So I think yeah, it's had a, a transformative impact. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Adam. And um, what I'm learning at the moment and um, is that when you... Uh, firstly, I'm very grateful that you said yes to talk to me. Um, I'm sure there were other things that you could be doing. Uh, so hugely grateful um, that, that you would have a conversation with me. But... Uh, one of the things that I'm realizing is um, everything comes with a consequence. Um, so by saying yes 
to having a conversation with me, you're saying no to doing something else. You're, you're saying no to um, walking to the shops with your daughters or you're saying no to going to the gym or you're saying no to whatever it may be. Um, and the thing I loved about uh, Oliver's work is that um, uh, there is inevitably going to be a no. By saying a yes, it's a sacrifice. By saying a no, it's a sacrifice. And for me, um, I've really started to take stock of those commitments as a result of reading that book. And um, we don't have a lot of time on this earth. Uh, and um, it's liberating, but also quite terrifying. Um, Adam, I just wanted to change tack slightly. Um, you said that, uh, sorry, I'm a dad of two two young girls. Do you have any advice Um because it's uh, it, it's pretty chaotic in our house. <laughs> um, gosh, what can I say? I remember. Um, oh, my wife was pregnant because obviously I have two daughters as well, so we're in the the two daughter club. Yeah. Um, when she was pregnant with our first daughter, I spoke at a conference with Dan Siegel, who is one of the world's foremost psychiatrist for children and um he's a really nice guy and i kind of bailed him up in the green room and i went dan like how do i not screw up my children and um he gave me two pieces of advice and he said just love the hell out of them and he said i mean really like just enjoy them just um you know and and, and try and reserve judgment as much as you can that unconditional love of i will love you no matter what mm. and he said the second thing is that when you're with them be really with them and i suppose this is getting back to that kind of mindfulness being present piece because his research looked at children interacting with their parents whether the parent was present or not and i'm being from tiny babies all the way through and what he showed is that when a parent is truly engaged and present with their child mm. um the 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 child's brain lights up like amazing. a christmas tree amazing and you know so it's making more connections uh you, you know um it's full of serotonin and oxytocin and even there was just a moment the other day one amazing. thing my wife is so brilliant at is being playful and my youngest daughter, Alex, Alexis, who's 10, she's just a beautiful soul. Like she's so fun. And my wife was just kind of rumbling her on the floor and just listening to Lexi laugh. But that beautiful, I love that. deep laugh that you should probably record because it's going to change. But, yeah, yeah. so Dan, that, that was Dan's advice to me and that would Amazing. be my advice to you. I kind of... I do struggle sometimes, especially when my teenage daughter is being very mean to me oh. to not have judgment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and can I ask, I know we're, we're getting quite personal here, um, Adam. I promise we will, we will move on to your work. Um, I feel like this is a therapy session for me, so incredibly grateful <laughs> for that. But um, if we were to ask your daughters um, what it was like to be on the other side of you, um, what do you think they would say um and also um if you wouldn't mind maybe extending that if we were to ask your wife i promise we haven't got her here uh with we're not going to patch her in <laughs> She's that, that that's right but what what do you think what do you think they would say because i ask myself this a lot um yeah yeah oh wow we are getting deep and emotional <laughs> and, and personal which i'm more than happy to go to but you know i asked each of my daughters the other day what do I do that tells you that I love you? Great question. Yeah. 
and their responses were were fascinating. Amazing. Yeah, you know, around you know that range from you take me to my activities and you pick me up from um, gymnastics, even though it's late, and you bring my dinner. Uh, but a lot of it was that playfulness. Amazing. And that you know the. One thing I try to do is that when they ask me to do something that's like silly or or even a lot of effort, I try to say yes to it. Beautiful. Um, you know, from just kind of going, like I catch myself and you're so serious sometimes. And I think you bring the serious seriousness of work home. And even, you know, my daughter wanted to... Um, Oh, Bill, like, she wanted to cook something and I knew it was going to be an absolute shit time. Like, the kitchen was going to look like... And you just cleaned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just went, oh, just get over yourself and just say yes. And and even not saving her, like, she's cracking eggs and crap's going on the floor, just letting her really experience that. So I think that, that playfulness I have is a really good thing. If you ask my daughters what's it like, I, I would hope they'd say I have a dad who's getting better. That's beautiful. And I think early on in their life, I really was so obsessed with work and so worried about paying the mortgage and that I brought a lot of that stuff home. Yeah. And I don't think I was a very good version of myself. And I think I was short-tempered. In the last couple of years, I think I've exponentially got better as a dad. Yeah, wow. Um, Wow. And it's, yeah, I, yeah. so I, I hope they would say that. I look, I, um, Adam, thank you so much for your honesty. Um, I, I, I really appreciate it. And I I completely agree. I see myself in that story. I mean, um, I asked my, my, my daughters the other day, um, how do you know I love you? And my three-year-old was talking about, I know you love me because you, um, you give me cuddles. And my five-year-old yep. said, I know you love me because you help me with reading eggs. Um, and it's all these little things. And I think quite often we, um, I mean, we're the same as every family. We've got a mortgage with interest rates are going through the roof. We're distracted. We've got a lot of things going on. But I think sometimes we can we can get so busy trying to provide these wonderful opportunities for our kids, um, which are important, but we can miss the point. And going back to what we're talking about before, about um, 4,000 weeks is, everything comes at a cost like you can take that job that pays an extra 100 grand or 50 grand um but you just might not be home enough to enjoy that beautiful house that you've purchased for your kids um and so i'm really at a point of reflection like i've got a three-year-old like i said and a five-year-old and um I, i read a quote the other day by professor jordan peterson and he said you have little children for four years and then it's done um yeah and it and it got me um as much as I would love to um, have them back, one of my kids is is five. She's not a little kid. She's not going to run into my arms every uh, every night when she's eighteen. She's she's going to be out doing her own thing. And so, it really made me uh, it really made me stop and think. Um, and the whole idea that it doesn't matter the success that you have at work because it doesn't make up for a failure at home. And the amount of times I've had to get on my knees and say I'm sorry give me a hug yeah. to, my, to all of my girls, to my wife and my two daughters. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, what were you saying? What were you thinking about that? I was going to say, you know, talking about good advice from smart people, I, a very good friend of mine is a guy called Todd Cashdan, who's a, a brilliant uh, psychology researcher in the US. And he has three daughters. 
So he's got twins and then a younger one. And he said the best advice he gave me was he said, I use negative thinking with my daughters. And I said, well, well, like, what do you mean? And he goes, I just, I sometimes picture, like, imagine if tomorrow my whole family got wiped out. Like, how do I use this moment? But also, like, how long are my daughters going to want to hang with me? Yeah. And, And how this really hit me was that, you know, every night my daughters would ask for extra cuddles and one's in a bunk bed. So yeah. like they would ask me to climb up <laughs> and, and to climb up and get into bed. It's a bit of a pain. And every time like my brain went, Oh kid, just go to sleep. Yeah. I just, I do not want to climb up this thing. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I would stand there and go, how many more of these do you have left? Yeah. yeah. And when, when my daughter says, I mean, like, you know, that cuddle's too short. And I'm like, Bella, just go to sleep, would you? I just kind of go, no. So one thing I'm proud of is I always climbed the bed for the cuddle. And when I got asked to come back, I always went back. Yeah. So I I, I I would always go, how many more of these do I have? And I I think that's, I mean, that's so wonderful. I mean, uh, look, we, we just got back from a a road trip to Adelaide and the whole idea that the, the words road trip to Adelaide sound, why wouldn't you fly? But we decided to take a road trip and, and we loved every minute of it, but there were multiple times throughout that trip that I thought, if you ask me for a cracker again, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose my mind. Um, and, but then I, I, I had this moment and I thought like, uh, kind of along the, the lines of what you said is there will only be, I am one, there is one less time, sorry, let me rephrase that. Um, there is, I'm, there's a limited amount of time I get to do this. And I get to look my daughters yeah. in the eye and say, I love you. I, 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 I care for you. I, and it's, at some point they, they won't want that. And I know that in 20, 30, 40, 50 years time, I will do anything. I, I will do anything to get back to this moment. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's to be I mean, this healthy. This oh, <laughs> do you know what? I, I feel like we got a round two, but we might not. We might not want to record it. And um, uh, look, um, Adam, I could I could talk about being a dad and how wonderful and how challenging it is um, uh, for hours. But I think it's a really nice segue um, here to talk about your work with the third space. Um, and yeah. why was it such a? Uh, oh, sorry, before I get into that, for those that aren't familiar with your work, for those that have been living under a rock, um, can you please uh, maybe just outline uh, what you do and why something like the third space um, was a work that I feel like you had to write in some way? Yeah, so I spend my time really in three areas. One is presenting. So you know, I probably do about a hundred keynotes a year. We try and cap it at a hundred. Um, we also do research, so we'll partner with different universities to do projects. Um, recently, we just did the very first study into the mental health and well-being of financial advisors in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and the third thing we do is large-scale interventions. So for the last eight years, we've been doing something called the Flourish Movement, which is a program for school leaders around mental health well-being but also effectiveness like how do they be better at their job 
And so, you know, it's a, it's a very extensive research project, but it's also a program. So they do research pre and post every person that is in the program. And that goes into a huge database of, of research. And, you know, that, that project has won global awards mm. from uh, the Academy of Management for, you know, the design and the impact. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the three things I do from a work perspective. Fantastic. And, and um, uh, forgive me for not bringing this up when we had a, uh, when we started, but congratulations uh, on your APAC Australian Enterprise Award. I believe you were the, the keynote speaker of the year this year. That's a pretty, that, yeah, that's that an incredible good. achievement. It was really nice to, to get that. Yeah. Were you, so, were you expecting that? Like, was it a wonderful surprise? Or, I mean, do you, that's probably a terrible question. Um, I, I'm sure it's a wonderful privilege. What's that? I think one of my staff went, hey, you won this thing. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, the, uh, it's, it's nice to be um, acknowledged. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So, um, so, Adam, what is the third space? And I will provide links to all of your resources and, and where people can purchase the book in the show notes. But what's the research and why um, is it such an important conversation to have now, I think, more than ever? Yeah, and the third space was something that came from a number of interactions. Actually, the very first one was talking to some special forces soldiers. And wow. one of the things I said to them was like, what's, what's the toughest part of your job? And I'm thinking, you know, not die. <laughs> and they said, coming home. Wow. And I'm like, what? They said, oh, coming home is brutal. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, I've been away for six months. Um, you know, the family's changed and evolved and we tend to fight for the first couple of weeks and it's just really hard to get back in that rhythm because the family have got used to being, not being there. And sometimes, you know, some of the soldiers said, you know, I think I came home with a bit of chip on my shoulder of, you know, dad's back and, you know, I'm running the show. And, and they just talked about how bad that was. And one of them said how a psychologist had talked to him about his transition back in and, and what he could do. And I thought that's really interesting. And, you know, I spoke to a couple of um, elite sports people that I've done some work with and they talked about, you know, the transition between points. So whether they're a tennis player or a, uh, a volleyball player. And then I had an interaction with the CEO and this is something that I've documented and told this story a lot where he actually invited me into his home because I was in Brisbane and, and you know, my, my, basically my life is sitting in a hotel room by myself. Yeah. And so while I was on the road, he said, come over, you know, have dinner, meet the family. They were beautiful people. And he was just this unbelievably present, fun, funny dad. And as he walked me out, I just went, dude, like how do you go from psycho businessman to just being the best dad ever. And he talked about this process that he went through where mm. like it was ridiculous, but he built a new entrance into his home. So like he parked the car in the garage, he would go through this entrance into his room and he wouldn't see any member of the family. Like the rule was you couldn't talk to him. He's wow. off limits. And then he said he goes into his room, takes off his suit, has a shower, puts on casual clothes. He does this little mindfulness activity and then he said, then I go to greet them. And he said, you know, I lose 10, 15 minutes, but the way I show up to them is so worth it. Amazing. And I just started exploring and thinking wow. about this. And yeah, and that's what, that's what 
sort of started this idea and and you know i came up with the the concept of it's like this third space in between so the first space is what we're doing now second space what we're about to do but there's this third space in the middle and that's how we move from what we're doing now to the next thing whether it's i'm going home whether i'm a salesperson i'm going from one sales interaction to another whether it's me now like i've gone from doing a keynote to KPMG to talking to you now. And then when I go home, I've got to show up as the dad. And I know my wife's had a bad day and she's dealing with a couple of issues right now. So I've got to go home and be a support to her. Interesting. So yeah, it's, it's, it's about how do we use these transitional gaps in our day? So um, practically, Adam, I mean, what does that look like? For you, I mean, we um, probably in about half an hour's time, uh, we're going to stop recording. You're going to head home. What does that process look for you? How do we practically move between those spaces? Because uh, I would imagine by the time you get home, there's going to be demands on your time to be a present dad, to be an empathetic husband, to uh, be responsive to your family's needs. How are you going to practically do that? Yeah. Okay, so in terms of our research, we spent three years studying it. And we were looking at, well, what, what's, what helps people transition the most? And we looked at big, long transitions. We looked at short ones. We spoke to uh, triple O responders who are taking, you know, emergency calls and there's like a three-second, five-second gap. So what we found is that there's three key parts to a transition. And depending on the size of the third space at, you know, how much time you have in each is going to vary dramatically. So the first part is the reflect phase. And that is where we reflect on what we've just done. So too often we take the mood and mindset of what we've just done into the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. We have a bad meeting. It it comes into the next meeting or we have a bad day. We take it home. So what this is about is reflecting on what's just happened, but in a, a constructive way so looking at you know what went well or um you know what did i achieve or did i get better today it's kind of those positive psychology questions around progress and evolution but that's that reflection piece the next phase is called rest and this is all about calming the brain so what we want to do is be focused and mindful and present And too often in our day, you know, we're running from one thing to another and we take this busy mind into the next thing. So the the rest phase is about just becoming calm. And then the reset phase is looking at what you're about to transition into and predicting how do you think you need to show up. So you think about it like I'm about to go home, got to run my eldest daughter to gymnastics. Uh, my wife called me before and said the stove is making this clicking noise and I can't get it to turn off. So she's worked a hard day work. She's picked up the kids, taken them home, you know, dealt with all that stuff. She's got something going on in the house that's like annoying, annoying yeah. her. So when I walk in the door, I've got to be supportive. I've got to be uh, empathetic and, you know, I, I want to make her life easier, not harder. Yeah. So it's about that visualization of, yeah, when I walk in the door, she's probably going to be pissed. <laughs> she's probably going to be frustrated. So I've, I've got to, you know, prepare myself for that. So that reset phase is just looking at how do I need to show up for this thing? And it, 
you might be a leader where you're going in to have a hard conversation with a staff member. You might be um, a salesperson who's going in to make a good first impression. But it's this reflect, rest, reset that is the ultimate transition. Yeah. Obviously, uh, if it's a really short period of time, you mightn't have time to reflect. Um, you mightn't have time to rest that much. But so what I will do is as I leave today, reflect on the day. I've had a really cracking day. Like it's been an awesome day. I've enjoyed it. So I'm going to just focus on some of the highlights. The rest phase is, you know, as I walk up to the door, I'm going to take a couple of deep breaths. Yeah. And I've already in my mind thought about that reset piece of how I'm going to show up. So yeah. that's they're the three I love parts that. to it. Obviously, context is very important. I, I, I love that, Adam. And um, I, I promise we won't do a follow-up episode tomorrow to find out how that went. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 Adam's still married. That's right. Um, but uh, practically... Um, I mean, I read your book, um, gosh, probably a couple of years ago, um, and I've also had had a number of people that have been uh, been involved in Flourish, and that's how I came across your amazing work. And every day, um, I ask myself that question before I walk through our door: um, How will I show up? And the majority of the time, um, it goes well. <laughs> There's a couple of challenges, but I literally, I'll stand in front of our door and I'll say. How am I going to show up in my head? Um, and then I'll say, I need to be a husband. I need to be a dad. Um, I need to be present for my family. And that's it. And your work has truly uh, transformed the way that I turn up for my family. I mean, I don't always get it right. But just yeah. the, the whole idea that you can actually, in many ways, choose your response. And what I've noticed is my days haven't got any easier or less stressful, but I've just made a conscious choice about how I want to show up. And um, Adam, yeah. can I ask as well, um, look, being a dad or being a parent, <laughs> there's constantly things that are vying for our attention and vying for our time, and, and, and it's really challenging. So how do you make sure that you're taking the time to look after your needs as well and to be someone who is um, not only present, but somebody that is well and healthy and um, 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 yeah, how do, you, how do you make sure you look after yourself? Because it's so easy in as a parent and also I'd imagine your role as well to be constantly giving to other people. But we obviously need to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first. So what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, guys, I mean, this is my area of research. Like yeah. primarily, I really focus on well-being and performance. And, and also within that, I, re I look at burnout a lot. Yeah. So I'm obsessed with this question. I'm very, very focused on recovery. And, and this is another area of research that we've looked at is how do we prevent burnout in individuals? And this was almost a selfish piece because I would often burn out. So I was like, I want to do this research as well for myself. So there's a couple of fundamental things I do. Uh, number one is I exercise every single day. Right. So if you... Um, if you look at your health uh, and, and say if you took a, like a, a mathematics or math, you know, an epidemiology or mathematical view of health, you could make an argument if there's one thing you would do, it would be to exercise. So that's something I do every single day. Wow. Um, my wife and I sit down and have meetings about like, when are you going to the gym? When am I going to the gym? How do we run defense for each other? So we do that, that's yeah. the first one. 
Um, the second one is obviously, you know, I eat well and I focus on getting good sleep. But uh, in terms of our burnout research, there's three things we found that are very important. So every day you need to do something that gets your nervous system into a deep state of calm. So like meditation, mindfulness, uh, even reading a fiction book, but it's where your nervous system basically turns off. And what this does is teaches you the capacity to, to, to calm yourself and also just get your body into that really calm space. Mm. So I listen to an app on my phone, it goes for seven minutes and every day I do that. Can I ask what that app is? Is that calm? Is that headspace? Well, take a break. Interesting. Um, let me just have a look at it. It's free through the app store. Um, yeah, take a break. So if you type take a break into um, the app store, it'll come up. It's like a woman's face and a purple background. Nice. Yeah, so I listen to that. <clears throat> um, the And then the second thing I do is each week um, I find something that – fills up my cup. So as you said, I give a lot. So I have staff that I give to, I have family, um, friends. Also I have, um, you know, when I'm presenting, I'm giving a lot of energy. Yes. So <clears throat> what we found particularly with educators is they're so caring that they, all their thoughts are, how do I, how do I, oh, this, this would be great for someone else. You know, I could teach this to this other person. Like they're always looking at giving. So educators in particular really need this layer where, okay, if you're giving out all the time, this weekly thing is, well, what do you do to fill yourself back up? Mm. And what we found in our research is people need something that makes them feel alive. And when we know they've got the thing is when they start to talk about it, their physiology changes, they get excited, their gestures are bigger. Uh, and this is something we teach in Flourish. You've got to find, as a school leader, you've got to find that thing. And often, you know, it might be a creative endeavour. One talked about how, like, he used to play in a band and he used to attend band practice and he cut that out. He put that in and he said, oh, gosh, that just re-energises me so much. Mine's, um, I drive to Manly Beach from Leichhardt and I swim from uh, Shelley Beach to Manly Beach and back. Wow. And then I sit at a cafe and have a cup of coffee on my own and read the newspaper. And I don't know if it's the swim or the solitude. And then I drive home, cook my family breakfast. But that swim, yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's bloody important. Um, Do you ever feel... Yeah, that really re-energises me. Yeah, I, I think that's that's that, that's so wonderful, Adam. And, 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 I mean, do you ever feel guilty, you know? Like, I... I the thing that I struggle with is that I, um, if I, once again, if I'm saying yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. So how do you, um, how, how do you do that? Um, I, I'm not saying you should feel guilty, um, but how do you, I mean, I remember the first time I, I went back to work after my daughter was born and I sat in the car and just cried. Um, I felt like the worst parent and I felt so guilty for prioritizing something else. Um, but how do how do we deal with that sort of crushing parent guilt and and is is it selfish to do things for yourself or is it essential? Yeah, I think 
the problem is we've demonized that word selfish and yeah. so much to a point where we can't do anything for ourselves. Yeah. And yeah, obviously education is a, a big focus of both our works. I find educators feel so guilty mm. about doing anything for themselves. But yeah. It's just like what I find is if I do that swim, so I'm up at 6 a.m., everyone's still asleep. That's right. I'm back by 9.30. Yeah, I miss maybe an hour tops, right? But I am better in every aspect of my life for doing that one thing. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, and particularly in lockdowns when I couldn't do it, I watched my mental health tank. And as soon as I could do it again, it kicked back up. There's, I don't know. Anyway, but I mean, that's my thing. Interesting. But people have got to find their thing. Yeah. And and it's about... um, you know, whatever that is, but it's, 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 am I putting stuff back in? Yeah. So the guilt things are really interesting piece. We've been doing some research, preliminary research, looking at burnout in women. And the thing that stops them doing self-care activities is guilt. And I think, you know, society is set up to make them feel even more guilty. Oh, I don't know, like more than yeah. men, but you know, it, it's this, so what we found is that the women that actually practice self-care still feel guilty but just go, stuff it. <laughs> like, yeah. I always feel guilty when I do something for myself, but I'm going to do it anyway because, yeah. you know, I know that I'm going to be a better version of myself. So I think the key with, you know, guilt about doing things for yourself or parenting is feel the guilt and just make sure you're doing the action that is going to get a better outcome. Yeah. So I could stay at home and feel guilty, but then I'm resentful and then I take it out on them and then I, Yeah. It, it's, I mean, so. It's great. Yeah, you're going to feel guilty, but it's about, well, am I going to take responsibility for my behaviour and do yeah. things that are going to help me? Yeah. One of the many things I've implemented after reading your work is um, saying sorry quickly. Um, and uh, the reason why I yeah. as- associate that with you is because um, I th- that's, that's that whole notion of when I stand in front of the door uh, and I'm about to go into my into my house and I and there's a way that I want to show up but inevitably I don't show up properly and I end up having to I end up getting cranky at my kids and and the amount of times your voice has popped into my head um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is your intention but the amount of times your voice has popped into my head and 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 said. Just reset, start again, say sorry. Um, and there will yeah. be times that I, uh, that's an, an, an unintended overflow of your work, I'm sure. Um, uh, but the amount of times that I, and even last night, like I was fussing and fiddling and carrying on and I wanted to show up for my family in a certain way and I just stopped, I paused, I held my daughter's hands, I got down onto her level and I said, I'm really sorry, can we start again? And then I got to decide to show up in, in the way that I intended. And and I wanted to to really thank you for that. And and I know in our family, we have a culture now of apologizing quickly and laughing. And that is largely to do with, um, largely to do with the work um, that you've done, um, is actually just stopping and being present and taking a moment to say, you know what, this is not going how I would like it to, but we can stop, we can start again. So. I don't think you necessarily intended that, but thank you for for the research around that because, um, yeah, it's been really meaningful. So, I yeah, I really do appreciate that. 
Man, you must be an awesome dad. Like that's oh. an incredible thing to do. Well, I, th- I think I. I, th- I think I'm, yeah. I, I mean, my wife is wonderful um, and we make a really good team. And, and I know that whenever we feel like we're not unified or not on the team, that we're not acting as well as we could together. So we even, um, yeah. and it's a whole idea when you, it doesn't matter if you're right. If the person that you love and care about more than anything is hurting, you've missed the point. You just need to stop. You need to hold their hands. You need to say, I love you. Let's do this again. And she yeah. is a... Um, she is a wonderful, wonderful woman um, and um, has had so much to do with um, the shaping of the culture in our home. But um, sort of, yeah, so so has your work. And, and I'm really grateful for that. Sorry, you were going to say? It's interesting. You've learned from, you've learned that from my work. Yeah. That's the thing I suck at the most. Like yeah. I could sulk for Australia. Oh, so could I. Like, I'm, I'm Olympic I level stew, sulker. yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, I talked before about how my daughters describe me as a dad who's getting better. Um, that's what I've got better at: is just get over yourself, say sorry, you know. Yeah. Don't hold on to it, let it go. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's hard. But going back to the final piece to how do I look after myself with the demanding life? The last thing is um, we found in our research people that didn't burn out from. Time to time, they they would take a day to themselves. And some of them called it a day of no responsibility. Some of it called it a, a day of freedom. But what it was was a day where they would remove the agenda and remove productivity. And one of them said, I live in a pressure cooker and I just have to let the valve out from yeah. time to time. And it's this day where... There is no agenda. It's not like, oh, three, I have to be here and four, I've got to do that. And you don't have to be productive. Like you can choose to be, but it's not like, God, I've got to mow the lawn. Then I've got to do this. Then I've got to do this. And it's this day of freedom. And I married into an Italian Maltese family. And one thing I learned from them, uh, my wife's Arnie is a woman called Arnie Gemma. She's just the best human. And the second time I met her, she said, uh, Adam, you need to learn something that us Italians do really well. <laughs> I said, what's that? She said, il dolce fa niente, which is the sweetness of doing nothing. And what she said is you, you come in here, your legs jiggling, you're looking around all the time, you're looking at your phone, like enjoy the moment. Wow. And this day, and we've got, like, we've done a lot of research around this. We encourage people in Flourish to do it. You know, I've worked with all sorts of executives to have this day where they remove that. Because particularly high performers, it's always like, I'm on, I've got to do this, I've got to make the most of this time. But having a day where we just yeah, yeah, drop out and have freedom, yeah. that's, like, that's restorative. And um, Adam, I, I want to be respectful of your time and I love that we've had this amazing um, organic conversation and I feel like, gosh, as I said, there are multiple podcast series in each of the points that you've raised. But um, what do you think is at stake if, if we don't do this? Because it feels as though, like I said, we've just been over, uh, overseas, I wish, we've just been in sort of rural Adelaide, the pace has slowed, and I've come straight back into Sydney life, and I feel like it's hit me like a like a freight train. Um, and I'm kind of desperately trying to hold on to that holiday feeling of just doing nothing. Um, but what do you think's at stake if we um, 
if, if we don't have these conversations, are you seeing any sort of worrying trends in your research? Yeah, I, I really am. Um, I mean, the obvious one is just the high levels of burnout, the high levels of people are just always on, like they've lost that ability to disconnect. And, you know, currently working with some really senior people and they're totally addicted to work, like they just can't turn off. And the, the collateral damage around their health, their mental health, their relationships, connection with others is so devastating. And, you know, like a, a real theme is listening to wise people and taking on their advice. Um, you know, I, I was doing a, a roadshow tour, speaking tour around uh, Asia with some very, very senior global leaders of one of the biggest banks in the world. And uh, one of the things I presented was the third space. And each of these very senior people came up to me. Usually they had about six glasses of wine before they came up to have this conversation. But each of them said, I, I wish I'd seen that 20 years ago. Wow. And they said, you know, I'm very proud of what I've done and what I've earned and what I've achieved. But each of them in their own way said that the people that meant the most to me got the worst version of me. Wow. And they said, you know, if I could do it over again, I wish I'd just shown up better for the people that actually mattered. Wow. And wow. Yeah, and I think I, I just talked to so many people who kind of regret um, the fact that they didn't really connect with people in their personal life. Yeah, wow. that, I mean, yeah, it kind of worries That's huge. And I see some people, I was working with a group just the other day, and I'm like, how is your head not exploding? Like, you're just under so much pressure, but also you're feeding it. And, you know, you're not do, just yeah. how can, attached to their devices they yeah. are. And, and they're so attached to the urgency. They just, you, they can't be in the moment. They're constantly yeah. worrying about the next thing. Yeah. I remember a conversation I had with my wife when I first took on a leadership role in the school. Um, in a school, uh, I thought I knew everything, you know, like I, I, I don't know. I, I look back and laugh. Um, and I, um, I, I, I thought I had to act in a certain way. I thought I had to speak in a certain way. I'd listened to all these podcasts on leadership and I had all these theories and I was ready to go. And it was a particularly busy term and, and, and I got a little bit cranky at my wife and I said, like, I'm doing this for my kids. Um, the reason why I'm working so hard is for my kids and my family and to provide for you guys. Um, and she said, no, you're not. You're doing it for you. Um, and it really, it was one of those moments where um, I just stopped and I thought, wow, like my kids actually don't care. They couldn't care less, you know. They couldn't care less if I'm wearing a, a name badge that says assistant principal or I'm leading this thing or I'm, what it, they could not care less. All my daughters care about is that in an hour and a half when it's bedtime that I go home, um, I um, decide I decide with intention how I want to show up and I, and I put them in the bath and read a book to them. Um, I think yeah. it's, I, I find the role of, um, I mean, there is, there is ego driving most decisions that we make, um, but I think in that case, the, the ego levels were way too hi um and it just made me stop to go okay like i just don't want to sort of 
um, while I love the work that I do, um, while I'm incredibly passionate about it and see it as a privilege, um, it's not everything. And the only reason why we can show up and do these, have these wonderful discussions and, 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 and all that kind of stuff is because the people that we care about most um, know that we love them. And I just, it was just a real... Um, a, 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 Oh, and, and, and there's, yeah, and I think there's been plenty more of those, Adam, um, but I just think yeah. it's so incredibly important to realise what matters most. Um, and it's after reading your work, the way that I approach my work has really changed. Um, and I think that I'm a better husband, father, educator, leader, um, because largely um, um, as a result of reading your work. So, um Thank you for that. Um, I'm incredibly grateful. And it's it, it's so important. And I see a number of worrying trends, especially with educators, people working harder and harder, um, principals burning out, executives burning out. And I think these conversations that we're having are really important because, as you said, the collateral is just, it, it, it's just, it's just too much. So, yeah, thank you for really you know, that. Hearing what your wife said, to you reminded me of an experience I had recently. Right. And so I was doing a workshop with a very, very senior group and they said, look, there's someone in the workshop who's a really difficult, like um, some presenters have walked out because of this guy and I'm thinking, oh my God, what does he do? And they said, oh, it's just very oppositional and all that. Anyway, so I start the workshop and this guy's there and I know who he is. He was the best because he just kept calling us on our crap. And one guy in the group said, oh, well, you know, my family's my number one priority. And this guy, Hayden was his name, he goes, bullshit. And the guy's, you can't tell me that. He goes, show me your calendar. Wow. And, and he said, how much time have you spent with them? How much travel have you done? And what Hayden said is he said, if someone shows you their calendar and where they spend their money, you find out what their number one priority is. And what this guy said to the group is he said, we are delusional if we think, you know, our personal life is our number one priority. Our work is by far. And he said, and, and you know, the cost of that is that we're, we don't have balance, but the upside is we earn 25 times what the average person does. So we've got to really have a good hard look at ourselves and go, you know, and like have an honest conversation. Stop mm. telling yourself that your family is your number one priority if you don't spend time with them. Yeah. And I think we all need like your wife yeah. or Hayden to call us on our crap. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of people go through their career with this delusional view of I'm doing this for my family. Like a mate of mine was a partner in a law firm. He didn't see his daughter awake for her first year. The first year of her life, he didn't see her awake. Like, that's crazy. But and, and so I think, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's it's taking the time to pause, having someone call us on our crap, and getting really clear about what we're after. And yeah, I think you can be a high performer and still be really connected to people in your life. But it requires that, you know, how you show up. It requires that. Yeah like discipline to be a good version and to be empathetic and to care. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Dr. Adam Fraser, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I'm aware that you are about to uh, transition into dad mode and I don't want to take away from that. Um, a final question. Um, do you have any advice um, for new school leaders? If I was sitting down with you having a coffee um, and I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to take on the world, what's a piece of advice that you would give me? Oh, man, that's a big question. All right, I'm going to go with my gut here. So through Flourish, we've studied in massive detail over a 1,000 leaders. And the, the only thing they have in common is each of them say, I can't keep up. And that's the common thing across every single one of them. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Have all those leaders failed or are they taking on a job that is impossible? You know, you've got to be very intentional about your time. So I would cut yourself a boatload of slack. You don't have to be on the white horse out in front leading everyone. It's about like, put your attention where it's, it's most important and be very, be very deliberate about what you say no to, because I think that's as important as what you say yes to. Fantastic. Dr. Adam Fraser, I think that is a wonderful place to finish. Um, I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, and also, it's been a great chat. Yeah, also your work. Thank you so much. I, uh, I hope you have a wonderful evening with your family. Yeah, wish me luck. <laughs> thank you for taking the time to listen to the art of teaching podcast today i hope that you like me got some valuable insights out of our discussions for show notes please visit the art of teaching and i've also created a private facebook group where we continue the discussion there the link will be in the show notes thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode